Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast dedicated to covering every DC comic going back to the very beginning. I am your host, Mike Voiles, and this is episode 14, in which I'll be covering the final books published by DC founder Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson. The Major founded the company in 1935, but despite his best efforts, his company was in financial trouble by late 1937. He took on business partners Harry Donenfeld and Jack Leibowitz earlier in the year to create Detective Comics, Inc. While keeping sole ownership of his first two titles, More Fun and New Adventure Comics, under the Nicholson Publishing Company umbrella. Hey, did you guys hear that? I just heard a weird noise that sounded like it was coming from the other room. There it is again. Did you hear that? What is that? Hang on a second, I gotta check this out. Whoa, there's a light coming from the comic vault. Is someone in there? Ah, that light is so bright! I can't see! What the heck is going on? Ah, the noise is deafening! What is that? I'm trying to see what's going on. It feels like the air is being sucked out of the room. I can't see! White light like an antimatter wave! Getting brighter! Blinding! Light's gone. My vision. It's uh, starting to return to normal. Oh, man. Wait. Where did... No! The horror! What happened? Where did they go? They're gone! They're all gone! The comic horde! My beautiful comics! All gone! Vanished! How could this happen? Who would do such a thing? Oh, the humanity! Wait... What's that in the corner? It looks like something got left behind. One comic? Maybe whoever, whatever took them, didn't want this one. Why was it left behind? Hmm. Flash number 268. Maybe it's a clue. Alright, I've had a few minutes to calm down now. I'm still freaking out though. What the heck happened? I guess I'll check out this issue of The Flash, see if maybe I can find a clue. I haven't read this one in a while. The cover shows The Flash, Barry Allen, fighting with Wildcat and Green Lantern Alan Scott for possession of a Golden Age issue of Flash comics. Wildcat is tackling The Flash, and it looks like Julia Schwartz is a bystander watching the action. The cover is titled Riddle of the Runaway Comic. Hmm, that definitely seems like a clue. Since it was left behind when my comics ran away, I better read this whole thing. Let's see, the story opens with a 12-year-old Barney Sands looking for something he apparently misplaced. Okay, now we have the Flash tracking down and capturing a grizzly bear in Central City. Looks like Barry lives next door to Barney. Uh, Barney comes over to Barry's house... Uh, Barry's returning from capturing the bear, and we see Barry sorting through his comic collection. Uh, remember, Barry Allen liked comics and took inspiration from the Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick, who was just a comic book character on Earth-1 where Barry lived. Jay existed for real on Earth-2 and has met Barry several times by this point. Uh, looks like Barney lost Flash Comics number 26, and it turns up in Barry's collection. 
<laughs> Maybe Barry's a klepto. Uh, Barney points out a tiny fold, which identifies it as his copy. I guess he doesn't have a near mint one. Uh, wait, the comic is disappearing. I'll bet this is a clue to what happened to my collection. Okay, uh, Barry now becomes the Flash and visits a comic convention. Wow, it looks like this comic convention has actual comic books. I can sure see this as an old comic. Comic conventions these days don't have comic books. They're just Hollywood propaganda. San Diego Comic Con, my ass. Why not just call it San Diego Movie Con? I remember when Comic Cons actually had comics. I hate those movie people for taking that away from me. Comic Con should be for comics, damn it! Screw you, Hollywood! Hmm, looks like Barry found Flash number 26 at a dealer table at this convention. But Green Lantern and Wildcat want it too. Oh wait, these guys are just crooks dressed like them. That makes sense, since Alan Scott was an Earth 2 hero, and this is clearly Earth 1. These guys are crooks too, and stealing the comic. Okay, Flash captures them, but the comic disappears again. Now we get to the explanation. That comic was coated with a special formula that made it susceptible to telepathic teleportation. By concentrating on it, the book would teleport. Uh, let's see, the Flash rounds up the bad guys and gets a fresh copy of Flash number 26 for himself and another one for Barney. Okay, that's a weak story and a pretty silly gimmick. The only cool part is finding out more about Barry's comic collecting. So I wonder if somehow my comics were coated with a secret formula and teleported away somehow. Nah, that's stupid. Plus, there was that light and sound. That's not what happened in the comic. It must be something else. Was there anything else special about this issue? Hmm. Well, it is the first book published following the DC implosion. What was the DC implosion, you ask? Well, I guess I did promise you guys some DC history. So here's the scoop. In 1978, comics were 35 cents, and for that price, a reader got an all-time low of 17 story pages per issue. The rest of the 32-page comic contained house ads, a text page, usually a letter column, and some commercial ads, hopefully one from Hostess. Rising production costs were about to drive up prices once again, Comics of the 1970s had already seen frequent price hikes from 15 cents to 20 to 25, then 30, and eventually 35. Rather than add another nickel, publisher Jeanette Kahn decided to take a different approach. The plan called for DC to raise prices from 35 cents to 50 cents. But for this extra 15 cents, the page count would get bumped from 32 to 40, and the story pages would increase from 17 to 25. Some titles, like Justice League, would have full-length stories taking up all 25 story pages, while other titles would get an 8-page backup feature. This concept was not a new idea. Earlier in the decade, publisher Carmine Infantino had rolled out a similar program bumping comics from 15 to 25 cents and adding 16 pages to the standard 32-page book. Mostly, the added pages were filled with reprints. This lasted for about 11 months before DC reverted back to 32-page comics for 20 cents. The reason given for the failure at that time was that retailers didn't like it, but I suspect some of it had to do with Marvel. The House of Ideas briefly adopted the larger format too, but quickly dropped it. 
their books were 20 cents and all new compared to DC's 25 centers which were padded with reprints. DC was losing ground to Marvel who finally passed DC in the early 70s and the price point didn't help. In any case, Jeanette Kahn planned to launch the expanded books in the summer of 1978 under the promotional tagline, The DC Explosion. House ads and marketing played up the new concepts, new titles being launched, and new characters that were to debut, like The Vixen. The first of the new books hit the stands in early, July, excuse me, early June 1978. So what happened? Well, first you need to understand how the newsstand distribution system worked. It's far different than today's direct market system. In those days, publishers would estimate how many copies of a title were going to sell and print up a given number. Let's say 500,000. Print runs were much bigger in those days. Those copies would be sent to regional distributors, and eventually some of those copies would find their ways to newsstands. Why only some? Well, by the late 1970s, the system was corrupt and downright broken. Many distributors were just would just put cases of books in a warehouse and never actually distribute them. They'd then claim they weren't sold, so they weren't on the hook for paying for them, and the publisher ate the cost for the unsold copies. In any case, some of the copies made it to newsstand and some were sold to customers. Unsold copies were picked up after a few months, and the unsold copies were counted, and the publisher had to get, issue a credit for them. A comic that sold 50% of its uh, if his print run was considered to have done pretty well, but it took time for publishers to get data back on what was sold. They had to wait months before the returns were collected and counted. So in the summer of 1978, as the DC explosion was just getting underway, the returns came back for the books sold that winter. And those numbers were bad. Not just bad, but historically bad. The winter of 1977-78 had been especially harsh, plagued by ice and snow. Trucks carrying comics didn't deliver them. Some comics never made it out of the warehouses at all. So the percentage of comics sold compared to the print run was an all-time low. Management at DC's new parent company, Warner Publishing, panicked. They ordered a large-scale cutback on everything. The DC explosion had suddenly turned in on itself, causing fans and industry alike to dub it the DC implosion. New titles that were planned were stillborn and never saw the light of day. New backup features were dropped and put into a file cabinet for use on another day. Longer stories had to be cut down because the 25-page story format was going to 17, and the number of titles was also drastically reduced. Prior to the DC explosion, DC put out 30 to 35 books a month. Following their implosion, that number was cut to just 23. By October of 1978, they had cut back on shipping, too. Throughout most of the 1970s, DC books were released twice a week, usually Tuesdays and Thursdays. No Wednesday comic day here. However, following the implosion, they switched that to twice a month shipping, meaning every other week. Many of the casualties of the DC implosion did eventually find their way into print in one form or another. Some were reworked into surviving titles, others were collected along with older inventory material into cancelled comic cavalcade, a legendary book assembled by the DC staff using a photocopier. 35 original copies were made and bound, 
These were given to DC staffers. Some second and third generation copies, or copies of copies, were made. I myself owned a, an allegedly third generation copy at one point. So why do I consider Flash number 268 the first DC implosion book? It was published the first week after comics were turned to 32 pages for 40 cents, after the explosion took them from to 40 pages for 50 cents. It shares this distinction with other books published in, the, in early September of 1978. Could my comics have disappeared in an implosion of their own? How is that possible? I think I need to start searching for some more clues. I'll be back soon with an update. Thanks again for listening to this odd episode of Mike's Amazing World of DC History. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> what a fool that Mike guy is. He doesn't know it, but I've stolen his precious comic collection. Yes, I, Pear Degaton, master of time and space. After I awoke from another dream of ruling the world, I went back to my job washing test tubes for that infernal Professor Z. How many times have I killed that old fool and stolen his time machine, only to be defeated by that idiotic justice society? Well, I'm going to defeat them all this time. <laughs> By stealing Mike's giant collection of DC Comics, I can learn about my enemies' every move. Then I'll erase these stories from existence, including those rotten JSA fools. With those moronic heroes wiped out of existence, no one will stop me. Then I, Pear Degaton, will rule the world. Ha <laughs> ha!